Hallelujah. I believe the, the, the Spirit of the Lord has prepared our hearts for the planting of the Word of God into our hearts. Amen. How many come with an open heart and open mind for the Word of the Lord this evening? Amen. Amen. Brother Caleb Adams is a pastor who I admire, I appreciate, and I cherish our friendship. Brother Adams, thank you so much uh, for being willing to come and preach uh, in this men's conference tonight. Brother Adams is a studious man. He is a prayerful man and walks in the fear of the Lord. And we are honored tonight that you've chosen to come be with us. God bless you. Obey the Lord. Everybody say, Lord, have your way. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Townley, and praise the Lord, everybody. Man, why don't we reach over and join up with the brother and have us a prayer meeting tonight and ask for the help of the Lord to be on the preaching. Hallelujah. Oh, let's pray like only men can pray. Oh, yes, God. Hallelujah. Oh, let's pray, brethren. Let's pray in the name of the Lord. Give us a breakthrough tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can snatch them at this time, and we will be reading a selection from 1 Corinthians 11, and then we shall go to Ephesians 5. As you're turning there, I want to salute uh, Pastor James Townley and this local church. I walked in tonight and didn't even recognize the place. I almost wondered if I needed to go out and make sure I was at the right place. This is so beautiful, this remodeled sanctuary. And we, my wife and I, had a lot of very good times here with this local church and brother and sister Townley and their family. And we always loved as evangelists coming here to Jennings and holding revivals and meetings here. And over the last two and a half years, there have been two occasions in which God has used Pastor Townley to preach to the church in Memphis. I don't remember exactly how long ago it's been. It's about a year and a half or so. Uh, Brother Townley called me one day. And this was very unusual, and if you know him, it's very out of character. And he said, I was praying, and he said, the Lord has given me a message to preach in Memphis. And he said, if you ever feel to have me come, I said, well, by all means. And he came and preached, and the Holy Ghost moved. I'm telling you, he had the mind of the Lord. God had talked to him. And so uh, that was a wonderful thing, and 
Then uh, about a year or so later, I was talking to him on the phone one day, and I said, Brother Townley, I said, have you, has the Lord given you another message for Memphis? And he said, as a matter of fact, he said, I do feel something. And then he began to explain uh, what he had felt in the Holy Ghost. And he said, I feel like there is such and such of a situation in the church that you're pastoring right now. And this was something that only my wife and I knew about, and it was right. And he came and preached. And the amazing thing about it is when Brother Townley preached that Sunday, he didn't even preach about what the Lord had showed him was happening in the church. He didn't say a first word about it. And uh, after the service, the parties involved uh, God had so touched their hearts, they come to me in private and made uh, some things uh, uh, right in their lives through the preaching. He didn't even preach about the issue, but God, through the preaching, worked on the issue. And so I have the utmost respect uh, to this man of God, and I've told him any time God gets to talking to you about Memphis, uh, by all means, give me a call. And I love the Townley family. Good to see so many Townleys in the house tonight. And it has been a great honor of ours to have Brother Townley's uh, cousin and her husband in, in our church. And Brother Kirk Kaufman is here with me tonight and so kind to keep me company driving down. And I want to give honor to all of these good men of God. And I'm going to get to preach the full court of the Sanhedrin tonight. And, uh, and what, a, what an honor. And looking forward to the ministry of Pastor McConaughey and Brother Archer tomorrow. And I guess this is uh, just a little cap pistol before the big guns go off uh, tomorrow. But I believe the Lord has talked to me. And I'm going to preach what... I'm not going to preach what I think the Lord has dealt with me about. I know the Lord has dealt with me to preach what I'm going to preach. And uh, I'm going to talk to us about the structures of our home. And I will be preaching some strong doctrine tonight. And I'm going to preach some doctrine tonight that will be strong. And, there, and I don't want to have to qualify everything that I preach because I understand for pretty near every rule there are exceptions. And I know that in the culture we live in, some of our families have been so broken and so wounded and scarred by sin that all semblance of normalcy and functionality is, is gone. And so as a pastor and a minister in preaching in this type of setting, we have to make a decision. We understand that there are some in attendance that have been very, very broken for whatever reason, and families have been really, really messed up. So do we avoid the parts of the Word of God that may touch a sore spot in these situations? And of course, we don't want to open up any wounds at all. Don't want to do that, and do not want to use the opportunity of this preaching to bring guilt and condemnation to anyone. But nevertheless, the Bible still sets forth some ideals for our family. And the only hope that we have as a whole in the church for having godly families 
is for men to get a revelation of how the home is supposed to work. And so I'm going to talk to us a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. Let's read together. The Apostle Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Verse number 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Notice the Bible said he is the image and glory of God. Not that he should try to be, not that we should aspire to that, but by the mere fact that we are a man, and particularly if you are a married man, you are the image and the glory of God. Then the Apostle Paul writes again in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 23. This is a very, very good passage, brethren. For the husband is the head of the wife. Did not say he should try to be the head. Not that he's supposed to be the head. Not that ideally he is the head, but he is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. And I like to stress to the lady folks, the Bible does say to in everything. I could stop right here and really do some anointed preaching. That's right. Number 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And from these readings tonight, I'm going to talk to us about the responsibility of headship the responsibility of headship. And everyone said in Jesus' name, bless you, you may be seated. The Apostle Paul in his writings here in 1 Corinthians, he establishes for us that there is an order of headship by God's design. And Paul lets us know that this order is, at the top, there is God. And then, beneath God, we have Christ. And beneath Christ, we have the man. And then we have the wife. And then in other passages, we see that there are the children. And it's very important that we understand that it was God 
that decreed that things would work this way. This is not up to a man's opinion. None of us have a right to change it. This is just the way God set it up. God, Christ, the man, the wife, and the children. And I believe with all of my heart that much of the problems that will arise in homes today and in churches comes to the down to the fact that our men don't have a clear understanding of headship and how it's supposed to work. And anytime headship gets messed up, there's going to be all kinds of problems. So I'm going to try with the help of the Lord to preach to us the Bible doctrine of headship. First of all, Paul establishes that at the top there is God. God is the head of Christ. We understand that all authority comes from God. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1, the Bible said there is no power but of God. Even the power that Satan has, he could not have that power except that God gave it to him. There is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. No man, no man, saint or sinner, has any authority but what God allowed him to have that authority. And as God is the source of delegated authority, a delegated authority could be the man of the house, that is the pastor of the church. Delegated authority would be Sunday school teachers in the church. It would be police officers, judges, magistrates on the job, the boss and the supervisor. Anyone that holds a position of delegated authority they are in a position that God honors. There is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. And so because the authority that authority figures have comes from God, the Bible teaches that when we rebel against that authority, we come up and we resist it. We buy into the modern-day attitude of, I don't need anybody to tell me anything. I'm my own man. I'm my own boss. And, and I'm going to buck the system. The Bible lets us know that when we buck an authority figure, we are actually resisting God. Romans 13 and 2, the Bible said, Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. So all authority comes from God. All power comes from God. It is God instituted. And as we preach along the subject of authority, at this juncture, someone is always uh, quick to point out, well, Brother Adams, uh, you preaching that authority comes from God and authority figures are ordained of God. And if we resist the figure of authority, then we're rebelling against God. But what about all the people that abuse authority? What about the police officers that abuse their job as a police officer? They're corrupt. They're on the take somewhere are you saying that we should have to obey such a wicked person what about a pastor that uh, is is living in immorality and he is preaching one thing to a church but 
quite something different uh, uh, in his own life. And what about people, that husbands that beat their wives and they're, they're very mean and very abusive? It will almost seem sick in order to, for us to demand somebody submit themselves to an authority figure who is not right. Now here's where we need to learn to make a distinction. At times, it is fine for us to resist the man in authority, but it's never right to resist the position of authority. We need to understand that you need to be very, very careful about criticizing authority figures, particularly spiritual authority. Because a lot of times, if we are not so careful and we begin to lay our finger on the man in authority, we can easily cross the line and touch the office. And it is possible in some cases for us to resist the man and not resist the office. But brother, if we ever find ourselves in a position in life in which we are bucking the office, God-ordained offices, then we're going to be in trouble with God. When Jude was describing the battle that went on between uh, uh, Michael, the archangel, and the devil, Lucifer, and they were fighting over the body of Moses, we don't understand what all that went on. I guess the devil wanted him to be buried uh, in one cemetery, and Michael wanted him to be buried in another. We don't know, but there was a quarrel going on over what would happen with Moses' body. And finally, Michael got so fed up with fighting against Lucifer, they had argued back and forth that he felt it time to rebuke the devil and put him in his place. But the Bible said that Michael the archangel, he dared not to bring against Lucifer a railing accusation. But instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So here, even Michael understood that because they were both archangels, and even though Satan had lost his first estate, and God had kicked him out of heaven, there was still a position there of an archangel, and he dared not to rebuke the devil, lest he touch the position that God had ordained. So instead of as a peer, rebuking a peer in authority, he appealed to a higher power when he was administering the rebuke. So, the head of Christ is God. He's at the top. And then the Bible teaches that the head of the man is Christ. Now, Christ, we know, is not separate from God. God and Christ are one and the same. We believe in the oneness of God. But Christ, we understand, was God in the flesh. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We understand the plan of the gospel, how that man could not make his way into the holiest of holies because he was a fallen and sinful creature. But when Christ came and he laid down his life in our stead, he took our sins to the cross. He died so that we could live. What Christ actually did in the cross is he brought you and I that were alienated from God. We were lost in sin. We were floundering in the slime pit of self-righteousness and there was no way we could dig out of the pit. 
Christ God became flesh and he came down into our world as it were he took our sin and in the process he reaches down in the pit and he picks up the likes of you and I and he brings us unto himself he had the ministry of reconciliation because of Calvary we are in this house tonight because of the work of Jesus Christ we are full of his spirit all of us can agree tonight that our lives are different today because of the work of Christ bringing reconciliation between us and God so the Lord became flesh dwelt among men for the sole purpose of reconciling bringing men to God but the Bible said that when he ascended back up in the heaven what did he do? He gave gifts to men. He gave the gifts of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers to men. And he gave them the ministry. The Bible said he hath committed unto us as ministers the ministry of reconciliation. Trying to show you the structure of authority. Here we have God, the source of all authority. He delegates authority to Christ so that he might bring men to himself. And Christ, when he ascends to heaven, he takes his ministry, as it were, and lays it in the hands of ordinary God-called men. So in the line and structure of authority, our pastor stands in Christ's stead. Now, Paul makes two statements concerning the authority of the pastor in the local congregation. Number one, he says, we need to follow him as long as he follows Christ. If your man of God is following the Lord, then we have a biblical command, we follow that man. And it is only as the man of God follows Christ that he has authority from Christ to lead his people. And any time a man of God ceases to follow Christ, he no longer has the authority of Christ to lead the people of God. Just for example, the way of the Lord is the way of holiness. And as long as a man of God is preaching a holiness message, we need to follow that man of God. But when a pastor backs up from the message of holiness and he no longer stands for it, we should not follow that man. We need to find a man who is following Christ. Now, I'm not here... Uh, I'm just going to say this for me. What, this is what I tell the church. I told the church here some time back, uh, if there ever comes a point I get a television in my home, they need to leave our church and find another one. I only have authority to lead people as I follow Christ. And Paul said that the man of God has authority to establish tradition within the local church. As long as that tradition is in accordance with biblical principle. 
want you to know that the pastor has every right to, to make a standard that is based on Bible principle. The Bible, if the pastor teaches that the ladies wear their hair up the church, that's what they need to do. That's right. Pastor has that right, God-given right in leading the people to establish tradition within the local church. And in order for you and I, brethren, to have credibility to lead our wives and our children, we must be submitted to our head. A man who cannot be led by the ministry cannot be led by Jesus Christ. We understand in the Bible that the anointing of God always flows down. God always anoints the head. And the anointing flows from the head to the body. And it's only by being in alignment with our headship that we are recipients of the downward flow of God's anointing. So if you want to be able to transmit anointing and blessing into your family, you've got to be under authority. You can't do anything with a man who will not submit to apostolic ministry. Well, praise the Lord. Everybody still all right? You know the devil hates what I'm preaching right now. Authority comes from God. Goes from God to Christ. The ministry stands in Christ's stead with the ministry of reconciliation. And then when the man of the home is walking hand in hand with his pastor, when he is following his pastor as the pastor follows Christ, the anointing and the spirit of Christ flows down through the headship into the man of the home. And the man of the home then has credibility to lead his family. I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I expected my wife to submit to me, but I couldn't submit to my man of God. I could not expect my children to respect me if I did not show respect to the man of God. So then we get here to where we need to be tonight. The Bible says that the head of the woman is the man brothers he did not say that you should be the head you are not trying to be cute but you're a head even if you're not a good one you might be a sick head but you're still a head you might be a not head but you're still the head That's right. A man is the head of his wife. He might be a poor leader. He may not even want to be the head of his wife. But according to the Bible, he is. When you became a married man, you stepped into an office, into a position that God decreed from the very creation of headship. And as the head of your wife, it is your responsibility to lead. 
as the head of the home, we have a great responsibility. Here I'm going to preach you some strong doctrine. Before it's over, some of us might squirm a little bit, but I've, I'm in the book. First point I want to make about headship is that the man of the house is responsible for everything that transpires in his household. You are responsible for your wife and your children and their condition, good or bad. I learned me a lesson about headship in October of 2006. And I don't want to cast light on any other minister here. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me. We uh, became a pastor uh, there in Memphis. Very, very good group of people. Good men, good ladies, good families in the church, and godly people. We love them. They love us. But uh, about a year into being a pastor, things weren't working right in our church. We was having prayer meetings, and people wasn't praying. They would come to prayer meeting, and we have chairs all around the walls of our big prayer room, and they would just kind of sit there, and Jesus, 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 Jesus. And they just wouldn't pray. Well, I thought, you know what? They told me you get what you preach. So I'm going to start preaching about prayer. And I preached on it, and I started preaching about fervency. And we'd come back to the next prayer meeting, pre-service prayer. And if anyone was there, very few were showing up, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And after about 30 minutes of prayer, it would get as somber as a morgue in prayer. And so this went on for some time, and it was, I don't know how to say this nice, but it was really bothering me bad. And I'd preach about being faithful to church, and every service, stand up there and start counting off all the people that weren't there, they had not called, and I had no idea where they were. And, man, that would hurt me bad. And, and I preach on worship, and I'm telling you, we were having a streak of some of the deadest church you ever had in your life. I mean, some nights we'd come in, we'd have good service, come back, and we couldn't get nothing moving for nothing. And, boy, it wasn't supposed to work that way. You see it. It was never that way uh, where I come from. And, and boy, this frustration built and built and built until after a while, this was going on. I'm telling you, it was over a span of several months here. I started to feel a resentment as the pastor towards the congregation. I started feeling sorry for myself. You know, if they really appreciated me, they'd pray. I mean, they could have one of these pastors that don't even preach about prayer. And, you know, if, if they really appreciate it, they'd come to church. Man, it just, I get aggravated and aggravated and aggravated, but, and I'm not a, I'm not a man with a much of a temper. I really don't have a lot of temper. But you see, this frustration was building. I'd feel sorry for myself. And I was thinking, why in the world is our church so dysfunctional? 
understand, we, we got problems. And, and no matter how much I would preach, and I'm telling you, I was preaching it. I was preaching everything they were supposed to be doing it, but they just wouldn't do it. And so it come all to a, to a head on a Wednesday night. We had an evangelist preach for us. And he preached the message about complacency. And I'm telling you, he put the whole church in the crosshairs. And he got them. And it was the Holy Ghost preaching. That's why he's preaching. I was thinking, man, yeah. You, you're telling it right. And it was such an anointed message. But when it came time to respond to the word of the Lord, it was, one of, it was an unusual service in that I don't think anybody would come pray. I'm sitting up there and all these months of frustration and self-pity and blame and anger it built and it come it comes spilling out I walked to the pulpit and I began to scold that church I rebuked them I screamed, I hollered I said you people I preach about praying our prayer meetings sound like a morgue. See, you missed church over a runny nose. Sinus problems. And I mean, I went down the line and I aired all the grievances. And I'm going to tell you, the kind of spirit I was getting under, I was so mad I didn't care if the biggest tithe pairs in the church got up and left. In fact, I was kind of hoping they'd leave. I'm the pastor of this church and, and this is the way it's going to be around here. Man, I cracked the whip and then after I went on, it must have been about 20 minutes, I, I have never, 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 never scolded a church like I scolded them that night. Then I said, you know, we need to do some repenting tonight. Let's get up here and pray. And a few people come and prayed, but their heart wasn't in it. And, uh, man, that night, the thing about it was, we'd just come off of a three-day fast. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, that night I left, and I felt like such a failure as a pastor. What's wrong with this church? So, I did what I needed to do. I Next morning, I got on the phone, and I called my pastor, Brother Holmes. Now, the problems I was having, Brother Holmes, they never had these problems. Because people always come to church, and they always pray. They always did all these things. So, And, uh, and so I called him, and, and I knew him being such a man of wisdom, he would probably be able to put his finger on the problem. And he always seemed to be able to lead people to pray and to give and to worship, and it just seemed to flow. And I said, Brother Holmes, here's the, all the problems we're having. They won't pray, and they won't come to church, and, and, and they're just so complacent, and they won't do outreach, and on and on. I called outreach, and, and one old lady come. I said, I'm just calling because, and, and, I, and I told him, I said, Brother Holmes, let me tell you what I did last night. I said, I was in the Holy Ghost. And I said, 
I said, I finally, I told him all of what I said. And I said, you know, I rebuked the church, but man, it, it was time and it was in the Holy Ghost. And, and I just talked and talked and talked and he didn't say anything. And I, and I finally got to a point I was through talking. I said, I'm calling because I don't know what to do. And I was wondering, could you tell me how I can get these people to do right? And, uh, and I'm going to tell you, the reason why I'm telling you this, this one conversation on a Thursday morning, it literally changed my life. They say big doors turn on small hinges. This was a hinge in my life. After I got through berating our good people to my pastor, talking to him about all the problems, I was so sure he was going to give me a word from the Lord about how to straighten these people out. And he got quiet for a second. Then he said, Brother Adams, he said, I'm going to tell you what the problem is with your church. Say on. He said, you're the problem. He said, you've been praying every morning. I said, I've been praying several mornings a week. He said, no, I'm in every morning. No, sir. He said, he said, you need to be praying two hours a day in the morning, seven days a week. I said, yes, sir. He said, until you're praying right, they won't pray right. He said, the reason why your prayer meetings is the way they are is because your prayer life is the way it is. Oh, I'm telling you, I went to the woodshed that day. It's the reason why they ain't worshiping right, because you're not worshiping right. He said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He said, you just worry on getting your walk with God right. You worry about you praying right. You worry about you worshiping right. And he said, you just forget about what they're doing. He said, you don't need to be rebuking them. You don't need to be scolding. You just get right, and then God will work on them. And you know what? I said, okay, by the help and grace of God, I was going to do it. And then I went to the Lord in prayer that day. And for three days, I'm telling you, I have never repented like I repented that week. Not even when I first come to the Lord did I repent like this. I walked the aisles of the church. I sobbed and I cried and I asked God to forgive me for all the blame and the self-pity and the anger and all of the snide remarks that I had made in the pulpit. I began to think of what I was doing in the pulpit Wednesday night when I rebuked them. And then I seen it so clearly. It wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was nothing else but Caleb Adams' flesh. It was my anger. It was my pride. It was me that was angered. I took what they weren't doing as an affront to me when in reality I wasn't doing what I needed to do so I had no right to, to be telling anybody else anything and I repented of God to God for what I said and I prayed for God's forgiveness with much tears and with much sincerity then I walked to the pulpit on Sunday and I said I want to come before this church and ask you for an apology I said I was not right Wednesday night I said I was 
right in what I said because all of these things have been a problem but I said I wasn't right my spirit wasn't right and I'm asking you to forgive me and that week I as the pastor I assumed the responsibility of our church all the things that were wrong that weren't working right it might not have been my fault I might not have caused all the problems but because I am the overseer by default it is my responsibility and now when I approach a service and it's not going right instead of wanting to berate the people I understand I'm the leader I'm the head so I I need to shout a little bit harder I need to put a little more into it now when I come to prayer meeting and it's not going like it needs to pray instead of getting frustrated and angry at the people I start digging in and I start praying and I'm gonna tell you what the problems have started to go away it's been getting better The amazing thing about it is when I started taking all responsibility and understand if it ain't right, it's my, my baby, not theirs. You know what? The most astonishing thing happened. I don't get mad at church anymore. I don't sit up there and fume and fret. I don't get to the pulpit and feel like lashing out when things aren't right. Because I understand ultimately... This church will be what I am. Now, I'm preaching to men of the house. Man, if there are attitudes and spirits in your home, that's yours to deal with. It may not be your fault. You may not be guilty of causing it, but it is your responsibility. When a captain of a big ocean liner goes to bed at night out on the high sea and he turns the helm of the ship over to a man of lesser rank. The man of lesser rank, for whatever reason, he runs the ship aground. Guess who home office wants to talk to? They're not worried about Bob on the steering wheel that night, but they want to talk to the man that was laying in bed. He was the captain of the ship. He does them no good whatsoever to go to home office and protest that it wasn't his fault because he wasn't driving. The fact of the matter is he was the man on board. He is the captain. And as such, he is responsible for what happens to the ship. When Eve, when Eve messed up and it was time for God to deal with the problem, guess what? He comes walking in the cool of the day. Eve, where are you? You silly woman, where are you? You gullible, naive woman. Where? No, that's not what happened. God comes walking in the cool of the day. And his voice is speaking, Adam, 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 I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. So, when Adam stands up to meet with God, what does he do? God? <laughs> it was the woman that you gave me. 
There's problems in the home, but let me tell you where the problems come from. It was her. Now, I want to tell you something about men. Men are just like Adam in that we have something in us. When there's problems in the family, we start looking for the places in which we can disseminate the blame. If my wife had a better attitude, our kids wouldn't be this way. I tell my wife what's right, but she's just strong-willed and stubborn and rebellious. She's just like her mother. She's getting a little more like her mama every day. I didn't know what kind of baggage she had before she got married. And now I have stepped in the middle of a home and I've married someone that's that's turning mutant on me and they're doing all of these things. And here poor me as the man. I'm working hard every day and she won't manage the money. She's running the credit cards up. She brings the guitar car home and the gas needles on empty and, and she, she won't be a wife and she won't pick up the house and she won't do this and she won't discipline the kids and she don't want to change the diapers and she, she just not being what she needs to be and then when she goes to church I can't get her to pray, I can't get her to worship I can't get her to be what she needs to be and oh pastor here I just want to do what's right I want to be a, I want my family to live for God but I can't do it because look at how my wife is and my kids and I can't control my kids, I, I don't know what to do there's just spirits in them and they're rebellious and I don't know why my little girl she's only five she's wanting to dress seductively and she's wanting to put on makeup and pants and what can I do and really I need prayer because my family ain't doing right and I'm doing everything I need to do but they just still ain't right and here's what happens in a home men when they start blaming others for the problems hear me brothers I'm going to help somebody if the Holy Ghost will open up our ears as long as you have your finger pointed at somebody else God will never let me back up and underline that word God will never help you with that problem your wife is running up thousands of credit dollars on credit cards. You told her not to, but she does it anyway. Let me tell you something. You the man. You the man. Well, Brother Adams, that's not fair. I didn't do that. I'm not guilty. I said what's right. Tell you, I used to be where you are. And I had a bishop tell me, you're the problem. I didn't think I was, but after God got through working me over and whooping me, I realized I was the problem. It wasn't that I was doing those things, but you see, it was my responsibility. You are to love your wife just like Jesus Christ loved the church. Jesus loved you and me that when he went to the cross, he took the blame for things that he did not do. And he took the responsibility of our sin straight 
to the cross. And if you are going to love your wife like he loved the church, you've got to be willing to reach out as the man of the house and say, I take the responsibility. I'm going to stand before God as the priest of my home. God, I know it's not right. I don't like it. But I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. Praise God. I'm waxing long. I've got some more to preach. Do y'all have more time tonight? Because you see, as long as I'm putting the blame for the problems in my wife and children on them, I don't need grace. But when I start understanding that whatever problems are there, ultimately it's up to me to get them fixed, with God working through me, that makes me get humble. And I have to pray. And I have to let God talk to me. Now it ain't about the preacher getting them right, it's about him getting me right. Brother Adams, if I start taking the responsibility for all the things she's doing, her bad attitude, her undisciplined ways, if I start taking responsibility, she's going to like that and get worse. Let me ask you something. When you repented and Jesus reached out and took the blame for your sin when he assumed responsibility for what he didn't do let me ask you something did that make you want to go out and sin more when you understand my what a God he took my sin it in essence liberated me to live right now I have a love for God that because of my understanding of what he took upon himself in his body to the tree. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, when we're the man and we take the responsibility as head of the home over everything in that home, our wives and our children will respect us like they never respected us before. See, I'm talking about the responsibility of headship. We've got God, we've got Christ. The ministry in Christ's stead with the ministry of reconciliation. Then we've got the man of the home. You've got to be in alignment with your authority. And then when you start taking the authority over your home and responsibility over your home, as Christ did for things that we did that he wasn't guilty of, then God can begin to deal with us and help our family through us. Now, Paul said it this way. When he's talking about hair, he said a man shouldn't have long hair. Don't cover your head. We don't wear our hair long. We just don't do it. Get your good haircut. Amen. I like this brother right here. Man, he, he got a revelation of that scripture. I ain't saying nothing, Bishop. Don't cover your head. How come I shouldn't have long hair? Paul said you don't have long hair and don't cover your head because you are, as the man, 
as the head of the home, you are the image and glory of Christ. That means that I represent Jesus Christ to my wife. That'll preach. I wish our wives was here right now. Is that not what the Bible said? He is the image and glory of God. We were made in the image of God. So here's the deal. If we're not very careful as men, we can distort God's image to our family. They cannot see God and have an accurate perception of who God is because they can't see past the distorted image that we project. Men typically distort the image of God in one of two ways. They abdicate the responsibility or they become tyrants. You know what a man that abdicates his responsibility is? He's a guy. He's usually a very nice guy. Got too many nice guys in the church. Well, it's time to leave and, 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 and go eat Sunday after church. And Well, uh, wife says, where are we going to go? I don't care wherever you want to go. Now, we can do this. I do it too. She's asking, where do you want to go? We won't say, just whatever you say, dear. Or we can say, you know what? My wife hates Waffle House. I'm telling you, she hates it. I love it. I could eat five times a week at Waffle I love it. Hash brown, scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, and diced. And capped. Triple portion. And I could become a tyrant and say, well, dear, we'll go to Waffle House. I know she hates that. Or I can refuse... Or I can refuse. I abdicate my leadership. Now that's just a silly little example. But what about, what about, what about, what about when it comes time to discipline the kids? And you constantly push it off to your wife to straighten the problem out. Man, you're supposed to be the breadwinner. Once again, I can't qualify everything. I know some people in wheelchairs and they can't work and, and let's, we're not, we're not going to get off on that stuff. And I'm talking about the ordinary man here. You to be the breadwinner in your home. It is not the wife's responsibility to see to it that the power bill is paid. I preach this at home. We have women that work in, a, in our church, but I still preach this, that it is the man's responsibility to take care of the family's finances. Does that mean that your wife can't balance a check? But my wife does. She's better at math than I am. But you know what? I'm responsible. The money gets short. It's my responsibility. Things aren't going right and somebody needs to tighten the belt. 
You know where the belt tightening should start? I might have to miss deer season this year. I might have to sell my four-wheeler. I might have to take a gun to the pawn shop. I'm the man. It's not me starting to restrict her. I'm the man. It starts here. I'm the man. But when the wife comes and she's needing to talk about, honey, there's not enough money and I don't know what we're going to do. I can't talk about that right now. Just figure it out. Whatever you have to do. Whatever you have to do. Just do whatever you have to do. Manual what you're doing is you're shifting your responsibility to her. Men, let their, I'll tell you one thing that irks me more than anything as a pastor or CEO. Man that's letting his wife lead him spiritually. Now, brothers, I'm preaching strong doctrine here. I don't have another chance for ten more years. If your wife prays better than you, then shame on you. She prays and you don't hardly ever pray, then you are abdicating your responsibility. If your wife is the one shouting and you're sitting back there with your arms folded, detached from the service, you are abdicating your responsibility. Man, you'll be seated. I'm going to just tell you something. I'm going to talk to men here. I know we got some little boys, but you're going to be men and you hear worse than this at school. Mama wants daddy to leave. Mama might be one of these Amazon types that wants to be brassy and bossy, but I'm going to tell you, it's in a woman to want to follow a man. I know what some of you think, yeah, you ain't never met my wife. <laughs> you know what, when your wife is leading you spiritually, you know what that's like? It's like putting your car in reverse and getting down the interstate I-10 and trying to get up to 70 in reverse. It can be done. But it don't feel right. And you're probably going to have a wreck. There are some ladies that leave the home simply because their husband is a lax man and he's lazy and he don't want to take responsibility. So he's constantly pushing everything off to his wife because he don't want to be forced to face issues in him. He wants her to be the leader all day long. About 10 o'clock at night. It's time for him to leave. I'm not going to get too plain, but I'm going to talk to us. This is real life here. Y'all sit here and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. She's been the one having to bear all the pressure, taking care of that house and that home and deal with those kids and pay those bills. And man, when the when the bedchamber door is closed, you ready to strut your stuff and be the man. But you know some 
when a man's one of these guys that abdicates his responsibility, he puts a frustration in his home that can't be easily described in words. His wife is dissatisfied with him. She might not know exactly why, but there's a dissatisfaction. And, and they're just, uh, can't explain it, really, because it's just don't feel good to be home. You start looking for ways to be gone. Another day in the deer stand. And I'm not against deer hunting because I do it. Another day to the lake, overtime, anything to get out of the home because it just ain't right. But when I do get there and daddy wants to be with mama and we're ready for it to be like it's supposed to be, be like it once was. But you know what happens after a while? The well starts drying up because... You see, when a man wants to join with his wife as man and wife, God intended for the intimacy of marriage to be a celebration of the oneness and all of the other aspects of marriage. Ideally, it's the man leading her to church. He's leading her. He is assuming responsibility. And so when they come together to celebrate their love as man and wife, it needs to be just a culmination of all of all what else went on in the home. But when you got a man that's a couch potato and he won't deal with nothing and he wants to get together with his wife, it is nothing more than blatant hypocrisy. it off on her or talking to you about you're responsible to represent Jesus to her or if you don't abdicate and distort the image of God it's possible that a man as the head becomes a tyrant one man won't do nothing another man has got to have his thumb on his wife I have preached to churches we've got churches I won't say where we got them but I go to churches wherever I get there and and, and the church is preaching, and nobody, none of the women had smiled. They all look subservient. They look just, they're, they're so docile, and they, they just look unkept, and the men are very well-kept, and the men are very much, you can tell, they're stern, and they're, they're the boss, and they're the man. And you get around, and he's telling his wife to shut up. He's demanding of her. He's demeaning. It's all his way. He's a tyrant. She's afraid of him. She has the slink in his presence. It's just an unhealthy, unnatural, fearful feeling. The kids are afraid of dad. They have to tiptoe in the living room when dad's there because they don't know what kind of mood he's in. He tries to rule his home as a tyrant. Would you understand something, brothers, that everything you do as the man of the home, you are preaching a silent message about Christ in the church. The way you relate to your wife and your children is ideally to be how Jesus relates to us as his children and how he relates to us as his bride. And when you abdicate, you preach a message of a disinterested God. When you become a tyrant and you rule with an iron fist, then you project 
expecting a message of a God who is wrathful and severe and angry. But all I'm going to tell you what God wants to happen. God wants for headship to be right. And the brothers, the only way we can get right is we have got to love like Jesus loved the church. And you know where the love of God took him? It took him to the cross. The love of God meant that his will had to die on the cross. The love of God meant that all selfishness had to be put to rest on the cross. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, some of the things we're dealing with at home will not get better until we die. we got to get crucified. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Just remain standing. Brothers, we got to get crucified. You know what? My wife and I, we've been blessed, been married now almost seven years. And I have got one of the most godly, beautiful wives in the world. She's good. She's submissive in our home. Hopefully, and by the help and grace of God, it's ordered right. And those of you that know my wife, she's not passive at all. And I ain't either. A strong-willed preacher married a strong-willed woman. But you know what? Every time, now we have never had a fight yet. Now we've had a few discussions, but we've never had a fight never thrown anything at me and I've never done that to her we always get it figured out or quit talking before it gets that far but you know what thinking back over the times when maybe we was discussing something and I was getting an attitude towards her most of the time I can trace it back to the fact that my pride was trying to stick up for itself my selfish desires were insisting they be fulfilled. And really, the problem, our conflict, come back to something in me wasn't right. And you know what I've learned? If I can get broken, I get on an altar, I say, God, Help me to humble myself before my wife and help myself will to die. As you see, really, if the love of God is flowing through me into her, you know what God's love does to someone, Brother Townley? He comes down into a person that's already beautiful and he begins to nurture that beauty. You know, I thought my wife was the most beautiful woman in the world when I married her. I'm telling you, she was a looker. She had a sweet spirit. She's beautiful. In these last seven years, 
that beauty hadn't gotten worse, it's gotten better. Because you see, when God's love is able to flow through a man into his wife, love nurtures and it blossoms in it. I want us to pray together. We need to pray. We need to pray. I want us to pray that God would help us to order our homes. Let's respond to the word of the Lord, brethren. We have not been the head that we need to be. Why don't we take this opportunity and do some repenting to the Lord? Oh, God, we need your grace. To I want on. to live. Man, let's join up with another brother. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray. Let's respond. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. I want to give until there's if God can talk to you more to give let God deal with you I want to love until there's just no more love I could never never no more to give I want to love until there's just 